Hello, you're listening to the McGovern Report. The McGovern Report is the voice of the McGovern Center for Leadership and Public Service on the campus of Dakota Wesleyan University in Mitchell, South Dakota. The McGovern Center is the living legacy of Senator George and Eleanor McGovern, two of Wesleyan's most prominent alumni. And my name is Joel Allen. I'm Associate Professor of Religion and Philosophy at Dakota Wesleyan University and the Interim Director of the McGovern Center on our campus. If there's anything that we can say for certain about the mood of the American public right now is that we're really tired of talking about the coronavirus. Uh, even though it's still killing a, roughly a thousand people a day, we, we've heard about it from every angle and it's, it's become tiresome. However, there is an aspect of the story that just hasn't been told or been told very well at all. And that is the way that the coronavirus has impacted the developing world in terms of food security. One of the great feel-good stories of the last 10, 15 years is the way that, that the developing world had really been advancing, that, uh, that food security was becoming less of a problem, that more and more people were uh, establishing stable food sources. But uh, that has been de downgraded considerably, and we'll be discussing that with my two guests today, Don Messer and Andrew Devaney. Don is the executive director and founder of the Center for Health and Hope in Denver, Colorado, which is engaged in food security issues and other issues in the uh, developing world. He's also a former president of Dakota Wesleyan University, as you will hear in a moment as he introduces himself, and is the president emeritus and professor emeritus of practical theology at Iliff School of Theology in Denver, Colorado. Andrew is a 2015 graduate of Dakota Wesleyan and is a CEO and founder of As One Ministries, which is a development ministry in Uganda. And I should mention uh, their graduate degrees. Uh, Don is a graduate of uh, Boston School of Theology in Boston, and, uh, and Andrew is a graduate of Denver Theological Seminary. So here's my interview with them both about the impact of the COVID pandemic in uh, downgrading food security in the developing world. So I'm here today with Don Messer and Andrew Devaney. Don and Andrew are both friends of mine. I consider a very, uh, a my very privilege to be able to uh, know Don and Andrew as friends. And, uh, and I want them both to introduce themselves briefly. You've already heard of my official introduction, but if they could have them both introduce themselves briefly, uh, let's, and then we'll get started into our conversations here about the way COVID is impacting negatively the food security of the developing world. So Don, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? That's always uh, tempting to dwell a bit too long, but I'm Don Messer. I live in Centennial, Colorado. Uh, I'm a native of South Dakota, Kimball in particular, uh, former president of Dakota Wesleyan University. Mm -hmm. and Thank currently you. 71 the, to 81, as I recall. A long, long time yeah, that's ago. That's 10 years. That's a, that's a good long while. <laughs> long before Andrew was born. Uh, <laughs> and then I've uh, been here as the executive director for the Center for Health and Hope, focusing on global HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. uh, authored a number of books, including uh, the one most relevant today, Ending Hunger Now with George McGovern and Bob Dole, mm -hmm. uh, in an effort to... Uh, uh, stimulate and motivate persons to be uh, 
advocates for ending world hunger now. Great. And Don has been recently on the McGovern Report uh, discussing his involvement with uh, Dr. King. So you can see that episode just very, uh, the previous episode. So, um, and, and that's very relevant in this. Both of these are extremely relevant with what we're going through as a nation and as, as humanity, really. And so Don and Andrew, both graduates. Don, a few years back. Don, what year did you graduate from Wesleyan? 1963. That's great. And Andrew, you graduated in 2014? 2015. 2015. Okay, yeah. great. And uh, so Andrew, introduce yourself to us, to our audience. Yeah. And Andrew, you've been on our, my other podcast, The Biblical Conversations. So yeah. uh, this is your second time to be on a podcast that I'm involved with. So thanks, Andrew. Yeah. No, it's great. I appreciate you know, getting to be involved. Yeah, I'm Andrew Devaney. I live in Littleton. So just, uh, you know, Don and I aren't too far from each other right now. Uh, married to my wife Veronica, and um, yeah, originally from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, where I where I grew up. Uh, graduated from Sioux Falls Christian High School, then after that, Dakota Wesleyan University. Uh, just recently graduated from Denver Seminary. Uh, that was in 2019, and so about a year ago now. And uh, you know, I'm the founder CEO of As One Ministries. So. Yeah, I, I was just looking at your webpage. Both of you have great webpages. So I was just noticing how many, your staff, you've got a lot of staff now. And I was there last year and about a third of them are new. So I thought, I don't know them. I don't know them. I don't know yeah. them. Yeah, so here in the States, we're a pretty small operation. You know, we have three, two, two full-time employees, two part-time. And then in Uganda, we have just about a 60 employees over uh, As One Ministries Uganda right. partner organization, um, you know, 100% locally owned, led, operated, um, you know, have a, a full Ugandan board of directors, as well as a, a team that's located in two different communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're here to talk about this extraordinary situation of the, the the fact that this that there's that the way that COVID nineteen and the pandemic has downgraded the food security of people in the developing world is just not reported. This is a story that is is not being told. I and if it wasn't for my knowledge of you two guys, I would not know a thing about this. I would I, I mean I would get we know a little bit about it you know just from knowing that you know, this is worldwide. But I don't think, and I'm kind of a news junkie, right? I don't think I've heard one story about the way that this is down, the, the difficulties this is producing or causing in the developing world. So, so Don, we'll start with you. As best you can, describe how COVID-19 has impacted the developing world in, in making food shortage more of an issue, even starvation. Uh, a lot of these areas have been getting better over the last few years and starvation been going down and yet now it's spiked back up again. The lack of uh, notification about what's happening in the world is really sad. And I think the primary reason uh, may be that uh, this uh, pandemic has hit the entire world at the same time. Yeah. So we are very self-absorbed in the United States, rightfully so. We have a lot of hunger in our own, within our own borders. Uh, our food banks are crowded. There's a great need for home. And this, of course, we, we always need to keep in mind. But what we haven't heard about 
is how this has impacted in Africa and Asia and Latin America at the same time, so that in every country, people who maybe day laborers who just go out and earn enough money in a day and they earn a dollar, dollar and a half, two dollars, whatever it is, buy some food for the families. They, they have no other resources. Uh, and then suddenly they have stay-at-home orders, social distancing. They, they're unable to uh, uh, earn any money. There's, there's no jobs. There. Food prices are increasing. Or, and secondly, uh, school lunch programs, which have been quite successful in many countries, mm -hmm. providing the only good meal a day that uh, many children get. Suddenly, the school, all the schools in the world are closed, basically. Right. Uh, children are not getting food. So you have this massive F thing going on in terms of lack of food getting to people and people being able to buy it. And this is simply silent. The World Food Program of the United Nations, of which George McGovern helped mm -hmm. initiate years and years ago, uh, is seeking to bring attention. But there is an insensitivity at the highest levels of government and in the local uh, areas as well. Uh, I read, for example, that in the legislation where we got stimulus checks and uh, various unemployment benefits, and mm -hmm. corporations and that money, there was money put out by Congress, administration, internationally, but that money is not getting distributed because uh, uh, the we're afraid that they'll use the money to buy masks that we want to have and okay. uh, buy mm -hmm. stuff. So uh, I think only a third of that money has been distributed. So we have a massive world problem of which most of us are unaware and certainly we're not taking any action yeah. to uh, influence our government at all. And Andrew, you're, you're, you're involved in a ministry that is primarily engaged in Uganda or only in Uganda and the east, the east side, Rowan Yabuhuka, I think is, and then Namayemba. Yeah. And uh, so you're, you're really uh, hip deep in what's going on in the, in, in Uganda particularly. So describe uh, for us what, the situation is in Uganda in terms of food security right now? Yeah, well, I think on the backdrop of the coronavirus pandemic, you, know, you, have, a, you have a couple of things that are being deeply affected. Um, I think it's about 80% of Uganda would be <clears throat> considered casual laborers. Or right. Laborers. The little and, riders and all those. Yeah, 80% of people are you know, we, we use it as kind of an idiom here in the United States, like living hand to mouth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there are 80% of the people, you know, probably around that number who, who literally do live hand to mouth. And so the food that they eat at night um, is the, comes from the money they earn during the day. Uh, while the average household in Uganda is around, uh, has six children, uh, you can imagine that there are, you know, vast amount of people um, that are being disrupted through the economic shutdown that's come with the lockdowns that followed um, early cases of, of coronavirus entering into the country. Uh, to, to add, you know, I think there you, you get into supply chain issues as truckers have been slowed down um, dramatically mm -hmm. as transportation has been halted. And while I think, you know, rural people uh, have been impacted a little bit less because they you know, do have land to at least uh, subsistence farm on. It, it's people in, in cities that um, live in slum areas 
that have little to no access to food as they are locked in their homes. And the government has tried to respond in different ways in Uganda, at least, to provide uh, food to different districts. But, right. um, it, you know, the, there has been some level of effectiveness, but the demand definitely outweighs, you know, the, what's, what's being provided, the need outweighs what's being provided. And, and the government has had logistical issues in trying to figure out ways to distribute the food as well. I mean, there's been a lot of outside support coming in from different countries. Um, and, and yeah, there are still so many districts across the country uh, that people were never given any support at all during mm -hmm. the, last, the last several months as the country's been um, closed per se. So I, from, from logistics to the economic shutdown uh, to, while well, coronavirus is definitely the backdrop you know, in Uganda, they're having issues with uh, locust swarms that are coming in oh, and just yeah. growing crops. Uh, there has been flooding in parts of uh, Western Uganda that has wiped out, you know, thousands of people's homes. Um, you know, so the, the, the pandemic only has magnified just how vulnerable people are mm -hmm. and living day to day and how, you know, I, I just recently read a statistic that 30% of people in Malawi, for instance, since the coronavirus hit, lost 50, reported losing at least 50% of their wealth. You can imagine their wealth isn't that much. So living day to day is, is very much a, a real thing for people around the world. And the coronavirus has just kind of pulled back the curtain right, right. on um, the you know fragility of, of people's lives. Is, is there a connection at all with the the fact that, or not the fact, but I understand that there's this hungry season normally in their cycle, right? Which is about now, isn't it? Aren't, is, in Uganda, I'm not down to the areas of the world. That, you, have, you have a lot of contact with a lot of different areas of the developing world. But in Uganda, there was this hungry season, right? And uh, is that a part of this too? I mean, are we going to be getting to the end? Are, is there, is it like, in a few weeks, they'll be able to start harvesting their crops and things will get a little better? Or is it just, is there, I, I guess I'm looking for a glimmer of yeah. hope here. Yeah, I, I mean, if I'll let Don speak to it, but I, I think predominantly in East Africa, uh, there are two harvest seasons. Uh, mm -hmm. One comes at the end, end of the year, January, around that time frame into February. And another will be this summer, um, probably coming up here in, in July. Okay at least, you know, for us. And so I think that, you know, there, there is a little bit of, of hope when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, I, like I alluded to earlier, I do think people living in rural communities who do have access to plots of land and they're growing their own food mm -hmm. uh, may be in a little bit situated in a little bit better situation. Right. But I, I think from a supply chain standpoint, people who do not grow their own food are mm -hmm. purchasing it uh, daily. There has just been mass dis disruption um wow. across you know countries uh so yeah don i'll let you add though well i won't go into the growing seasons then and andrew i think you very effectively described the uh day to day living of most people in the world uh, we, we often get lost in statistics uh, because uh, we don't understand once we start talking about millions and millions of people yeah. But let me just tell you about one woman whom I know. She, mm -hmm. I've met her. She's a cook in a school, and the school is now closed, and she has to feed her children. And she, uh, I heard that she and another woman 
uh, were standing outside a, a home, uh, probably a home just like ours. So uh, we might call it wealthy uh, in Kenya, but for us, it would be just a normal home standing outside their home waiting for leftovers, hoping that they would give the leftovers from the plate. Well, that sounds a little biblical uh, if you want to really uh, attach it to the stories of the Bible, but they were standing out there, but then they got whipped by the police because they were breaking social distancing rules. You weren't supposed to be that close. And so uh, they walked 17 miles uh, to a friend's house, hoping to get food. Uh, this, this is a reality. People in urban areas, as Andrew mentioned, do not have easy access to food, regardless of harvest seasons. And if they don't have employment, they have to beg. And in the beg, they get in trouble with the police. They're breaking social distancing. Yeah. Uh, they can't feed their children. These these are the urgent cries of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I I just think that the coronavirus is only played into that to to some degree. I mean, now you're just seeing like issue on top of issue begin to just trample um, communities, you know, like in Bangladesh, um, I think a month ago or so, there was a cyclone that came through. And I think they say almost a a million people went um, homeless because of it. So, you know, I know just a very specific context, a a guy, gentleman that I knew um, since 2014, who has a school in Uganda, in Kasese area, which is in Western Uganda. And there's been um, major, you know, uh, to some it's, it's great that there's been a lot of rain to others, it flooded the river. And so uh, thousands of people in his community went uh, homeless because the, the flooding of the river wiped out their homes. And now he has 500 families living at his school and they're trying to figure out how they can collect you know, food for these families. There is no social distancing taking place. The, the community is even considered to be on lockdown because a nearby border has coronavirus transmission. And so you can just see how deeply um, complicated it is and how much this continues to uh, heighten the, these problems. Um, yeah, it's, I feel like it's very heavy, heavy stuff. It's very concerning. Um, but we don't hear a lot about it. Yeah. That cyclone that Andrew was referring to in Bay Bengal, I believe is the right place, uh, hit Bangladesh and Calcutta, India. Uh, one of the places that we support is an orphanage uh, in Calcutta that was highly damaged, and food food is destroyed in the process of, yeah. of those uh, cyclones too, So, uh, and, and likewise harvest. So uh, you, you have natural disasters piled upon uh, this human uh, pandemic that's uh, sweeping the earth. So tell me about what your ministries are doing. How are your ministries engaged in these issues? So Don, yeah. Don, why don't you kind of fill us in and then Andrew can. Okay, well, um, we, we focus uh, uh, our work at the present time. Uh, we have a we decided to raise $30,000 uh, to provide some emergency relief, a care fund that we call it for COVID-19. Um, fortunately, uh, so far about 50000 has come in, uh, but we've spent it. We've, we've rapidly got the money out to 10 projects uh, in six countries. And unlike uh, 
Andrews, we don't have employees in those countries. We have volunteers. We partner with agencies in those places. So a variety of, of, of people are involved on the local level, giving of their time and effort uh, to distribute that food. Those countries in Asia are India, Malaysia, Sri Lanka, in Africa, uh, Kenya, uh, some recently in Uganda, as well as in uh, Rwanda. Okay. So in each of these places, uh, they're seeking to distribute mostly food, though masks and protective gear like to the Mama Methodist Hospital and other places, depending on their needs. So it's an effort to raise consciousness. Uh, it began with people saying, some of us really don't need our stimulus checks. Uh, other people in America need it desperately. Others, that's just a little more surplus in their pocket. Why don't mm -hmm. they share it? And so people began sharing their uh, stimulus checks and uh, other donations. And that's how we've uh, built up our fund. Andrew, what about As One? Yeah, you know, so As One was built um, right around the time or, or the beginnings of As One came, came around right around the time when uh, Fickert wrote that book, When Helping Hurts, uh, which, which came from another book uh, called Walking with the Poor by a guy named Bryant Myers. And, and one of the things that talked about a lot was the importance of diagnosing the situation correctly, that oftentimes a lot of us were doing relief or recovery type work when we're meant to be doing you know, development. And, and so as one you know, really situated itself in Uganda as more of a development organization, building uh, social enterprises in the forms of schools and businesses. And up until this point, I had done very, very little uh, relief type work. Mm -hmm. and, and so I was, amazed by uh, the dramatic shift in the environment, even the way that our, our staff uh, responded with somewhat of fear, um, show, showed the uh, fragileness of, of communities. And so uh, we, we really had to make a shift for about two months in moving from a development organization to engaging in uh, relief work. And so we, we did a variety of things, thinking about uh, the potential phases that people would go through. And so for about 150 to 200 families, uh, we actually provided uh, vegetable seeds so that over, after these two months were finished, they would have vegetables uh, to, to eat. Uh, we kind of assumed that this coronavirus wouldn't necessarily just be a blizzard that would come through and then blow over and we'd be able to move mm -hmm. on. Uh, but that was going to either be some type of a, a long winter or an ice age per se. Uh, so wanted to to think, you know, in that that sh you know medium term range, trying to figure out uh, ways that we could you know, supplement nutrition. But then, you know, moved into sort of a recovery phase where we, in our two communities, partnered with the local government, and we were able to provide about a a thousand food packages um, that would feed a family of five on average for about two and a half to three weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's 5,000 individuals that we were able to provide food to. And pretty amazing, you know, that that in and of itself was about $10,000, a little bit more. So it's amazing how far the U.S. dollar can go mm -hmm. in those countries. Uh, and then, you know, since then, we've been just um, doing a lot of um, work. You know, this isn't necessarily to do with hunger, but you know, now kids aren't in school. Schools are probably one of the, you know, largest economic generators in 
uh, rural communities in East Africa. And so schools aren't in session. We're trying to work with students to provide, you know, learning, educational materials, doing a lot with families to educate around social distancing, hand washing, health and hygiene. And then we're actually undergoing a little project um, with the local governments to build hand washing stations uh, and in their market trading centers uh, so that you know we can promote um, uh, health and hygiene. So these people who are selling their crops and things like that can eventually get back to work here and have consumer confidence. I know that the this that the uh, coronavirus was surprisingly uh, it didn't really spread that much in Uganda at least I know other African countries is that still the case What are the numbers now as of June 10 Do you have a Yeah, Uganda is nearing 700 total cases. Okay, um, that's that's quite an increase from previously. Yeah, it's actually increased pretty dramatically over the last, uh, and I, I think that that has a lot to do with testing mm -hmm. uh, and increased testing as well as as they've opened their borders to truckers being able to come through as surrounding countries have high amounts of cases there also, okay. you know, an in increased amount of cases at their borders. Right. Yeah, community spread has been significantly lower than uh, potential transmission coming in through. Mm -hmm countries. Well, one final question I'd like, but there's two parts. Uh, what, what do you look for? What, what gives you hope and what gives you joy? Okay, so I want to ask, what gives you hope and what gives you joy? Who wants to take a stab at that? Don? Well, we'll let Andrew answer first. Oh, that's right. We've been starting with you, Don. So, so Andrew, what gives you hope and what gives you joy? Um, I think like everybody else, I'll give a philosophical answer and okay. then even just a practical answer. Sure. Um, similar to everybody else, this has definitely felt like a bleak, um, uh, to be frank, kind of hopeless uh, period of, of time when you're looking at things more from a you know, higher level cosmic, you know, looking at the global perspective. Is there, there's, there's a lot to be discouraged about. I think from my my faith, there is something about um, resurrection coming after death mm -hmm. that has been, you know, keeps me hopeful that in the midst of what feels like possibly one of the more hopeless situations I've ever faced in my life from a grand scheme of things, um, that the, the Christian story continues to repeat at, over and over again, that resurrection does follow death. Um, and so, you know, I, I definitely... I've been trying to keep my eyes open to seeing those glimpses of, of resurrection, those glimpses of, of light and life. <clears throat> For us, practically, I, um, I've been deeply encouraged uh, by the work of local people in Uganda to respond to their own, to the needs that, that are being right. in their own communities. I, I do think a, a trap that we have in this international development work is you know, what's been alluded to as the white savior complex. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would allude to as outsiders needing to be the heroes in, instead of um, really dignifying and, and illuminating local people who are responding to the problems locally. And, and I think that, you know, in my sphere, which is very small, I've been deeply encouraged to see the ways that uh, local people in Uganda have chosen to raise up, rise up and, and respond with hope, respond without fear, 
to problems that they're also not have no uh, experience with either. And that's, that's been very motivating for me. People who have very little who are doing whatever they can to make sure their uh, brother, sister, neighbor are taken care of. Um, And so you see, you know, in hard situations, you really do, do see the beautiful aspects of humanity too. That is really beautiful. Thank you, Andrew. Don, what are what are some of your thoughts of yours? Hope and joy. Thank you, uh, Joel and, and Andrew, and and I think uh, what uh, Andrew just uh, stated, uh, I would underscore the the local response in every place, uh, seeking to care for their sisters and their brothers, uh, the faithful uh, partners that we have in India and. Rwanda and Kenya and elsewhere, who, who at some risk themselves are making sure that that food gets to them, uh, gives me hope. Uh, I'm uh, always uh, careful to distinguish between optimism and hope. Mm. This is not a time for optimism. Uh, uh, we, we are facing some some dire days. Uh, we we can we can hope for a vaccine. We can hope for better care. Uh, and uh, I think that's what God is calling us to do as our scientists and uh, our medical people to work as hard as they can to try to find uh, a solution. Mm-hmm. Having worked on HIV and AIDS for over 30 years now, I know that we still don't have a cure or a vaccine, so I'm not uh, too certain how quick that's going to come in this case either. Uh, and we're going to have to remain vigilant in our own uh, health care and and social distancing and try to figure out how to mobilize uh, people uh, to compassion without borders and to change the political will in this country and elsewhere to actually care for the marginalized and the hungry and the impoverished. Uh, this, this is a huge tragedy in which uh, the poorest of the poor are suffering the most in every country, uh, which is a situation in which we still have enough food in the world, but we're still not getting it to people. Mm-hmm. This is uh, what George McGovern was yeah. uh, advocating decades ago. Uh, people from who were long ago saying, whether it was Richard Nixon or John F. Kennedy, we, we can provide food for people, mm-hmm. but we're not. And that's year after year. And we, we have to use these uh, crises to remind people uh, to move out of our apathy and seek to really a hunger-free world. But at this moment, the emergency is not just in our own country, but in every other country. And so my joy is in being a part of an organization that's seeking to help. Yeah. Uh, every time I get a report of what's happening, uh, this brings me joy. Uh, to a hungry person, God can only appear as a piece of bread. Uh, that was the language of Mahatma Gandhi. I still believe it's true that uh, uh, God appears uh, when we feed people. If there's a biblical message, it's repeated over and over again. It's to feed the hungry. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's really a heresy when uh, Christians in particular are not concerned about uh, the hungry of the world. Well, thank you so much, Don and Andrew. This has been a pleasure to be able to I have just want to tell you both, I have such admiration for you, appreciate you 
I love you both. You're uh, your brothers in Christ, and I'm, I feel privileged to be able to know you and support you and, and know that uh, Dakota Wesleyan is, you know, has graduates such as both of you. It, uh, it's an honor to us. And so great to talk to you guys. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Feelings mutual. Yeah, thanks. Thank Appreciate you for the opportunity. Yeah, bye, Don.